Welcome to the Others and Brothers Podcast. I'm your co-host Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host Jacob Marsh. Together, we We are are the Marsh Brothers. Howdy, everybody. We have a great episode for you today with the one and only Alex Westervelt. We were very excited to have Alex on, and he did not disappoint. Hold on to your seatbelts. Once again, I am making a call to all of my fellow water polo player friends and family to get in touch with either Sam or myself regarding next year's tournament in Austin, Texas. It is the Spin Lob Tournament. Uh, It's normally the second weekend in February, and we do have spots filling up fast. If you, someone you know, wants to play in a competitive environment while also exploring the fun city of Austin, Texas, shoot us an email at brothersmarsh at gmail.com, or get in touch with myself or Sam via Instagram, text, however you communicate with us. On a side note, I did want to give a huge shout out to a huge, uh, huge shout out to a few people today and let them know how proud I am of all of them. Firstly, to my friends Alex and Keenan, I am really excited at how far you both have come in your fitness journeys. Your progress is super inspiring and it helps push me each and every day. To my brother Sam, you are an absolute ray of sunshine in my life. To see the uncle that you've become warms my heart in ways that are impossible for me to describe. You are doing such a great job now with your yoga and uncle life, and I wanted to let you know how proud I am of you. Keep it up, my yogi master. And lastly, to my wife, Amelia, I love you so, so much. Your dedication to taking care of your body and the mother that you have become to our son is overwhelming. It's really impossible for me to put into words how proud I am of you. We are so proud of you, and we love you. Now, to the pod. I wanted to introduce you all to Alex, Alex Westervelt. He is a newly married freight specialist living in Ohio. Boo! Just kidding. As a lifelong Michigander, he has been known uh, to hang out with the Marsh Brothers for coming up on 20 years now. Cannot believe it. He is a lover of travel, an avid fan of being outdoors, and keeping his body in tip-top form. Alex is a one-of-a-kind friend that anyone would be lucky to have and is one of the most loyal and interesting people we have had the pleasure of meeting. We hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. and Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Brothers and Others podcast. I'm your co-host, Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Marsh. Today we got a special guest for everybody, Alex Westervelt. Alex, how you doing The today, one man? and only. I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh, long listener of the pod, you know, since day one. So can't really argue. I'm glad I finally got uh, asked to be on here. Yeah, we're happy to have you, man. And yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. When did you and Jake uh, become, because I don't think you did swimming freshman year. So were you guys friends sophomore year in high school, or did you guys meet freshman year? Um, so actually, I did swim freshman year. Uh, I was afraid to put my head underwater and hold the record for the longest 50 in Alchemist High School history, 52nd 50. Uh, it was my first ever race. 
Um, the way I was introduced to Jacob Marsh was actually a little bit of throwback to Daniel Dantas. Um, I knew him a little bit through orchestra and other stuff. And he said, and I quote, um, so yeah, you're going to meet this kid named Jacob Marsh. He's a kind of an asshole, but he's like a really good guy once you get to know him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first uh, introduction to yeah. Jacob. I was going to say, it sounds like 14-year-old me encapsulated pretty well. Um, yeah, Dan Dantis. Wow, what a throwback, man. I was going to say Donut Man, the jewel god. No, no, less at the jewel god joke. Okay, cool. At the jewel god? Does he <laughs> well, still I mean, work for jewel? Yeah, he does. And he oh, like, nice. currently, I think currently, I think, I think the Supreme Court is seeing the, the, the lawsuit right now. I think that's Ooh. actually happening about how they're marketed towards children. So, you know, not exactly Yikes. the best time to work for that company. Yikes. That that first competitive swimming in high school is always really tough. I know the one I had, it was at Eastern, and uh, we got our new team suits right before, and this was the first time I had done, like, swimming competitively, not just, like, practices to stay in shape for water polo. And my suit didn't have drawstrings, but I just figured, like, <laughs> oh, that's, like – must be how the swimming speedos work you know they must be something different from the water polo ones so yeah i jump in and immediately the suit falls straight down to my knees and i had to grab it it was awful um and then yeah i remember (laughs) i didn't know how to do a flip turn and beforehand and i was like hey can you like how do we do this he was like you'll figure it out (laughs) i was like i've never done it And then what, you picked up water polo sophomore year, or did you play freshman year too, Alex? No, I picked up sophomore year. I actually played football freshman year, uh, backup center, 145 pounds. So, you know, it was I was pretty stout offensive lineman. Okay, yeah, because that's what I remember, because um, when you guys were sophomores, I was in eighth grade, and that's when I was recording your guys' games. So that's definitely some of the first memories that I have about you. Um, did you want to get your gonna, Lamar Are you guys going to talk about my first water polo game? Is that, is that the next, is that the next to it? Uh, well, I the, what I, I was, I, oh, go ahead, bring, uh, I was just going to say, I wasn't sure if that was still a sensitive subject, <laughs> even though it was like 17 <laughs> years now. Uh, so I wasn't going to directly, you know, talk about it, but if you want to talk about it, be my guest. All right. Um, so I played, I was technically... First, so my first year, I was the JV on the JV team, and uh, it was my first ever game. And I think I was talking to Jacob, and I go, "So, like, what's the worst penalty you can get in water polo?" He goes, "Well, technically, you can get kicked out of the game for too many fouls, and then there's this thing called a roll. And if you get rolled, you get kicked out of the game, and you get kicked out of the next game. But that like never happens. No one ever gets rolled." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Well, fast forward to my game, I end up getting rolled. Um, I was playing against this kid and we were slapping water and everything. I don't really know what happened, but we just kind of got in each other's grill. And then I followed him and I felt like I pushed him underwater and let him up. And that was it. And then I get a double whistle blow from the ref and she rolls me. And then of course, everybody makes fun of it because, um, that never happens. And then I'm like, I wasn't even that bad. Like, what's a big deal? Well, the video has been lost to time, but. I believe Matt Latham at the time was filming it. So he shows me on his laptop, like what happened. 
I hold this kid underwater for arguably 10 seconds and then the ref blows the whistle and I just stare at her <laughs> and still don't let him up. So it was a very egregious uh, penalty to say the least. Which is interesting because I thought there was a punch. No, it wasn't a punch. It was literally just me holding the kid under and not letting him up, which might be worse. <laughs> Jacob, group historian, do you have any memories? Am I yeah, wrong about so, the punch? Uh, yeah, you are. It, what what happened? It was at Grand Blank. The ref's name was Melissa. Um, and I remember because I hated the way she officiated. And I also hated playing Grand Blank's pool. Um, but, yeah, basically Alex just held this kid underwater. It looked like he was kind of putting him in a chokehold or whatever, and he got rolled. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody else who's been rolled in their first ever water polo game. Um, definitely definitely a different kind of achievement, but certainly an achievement, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, I, I think I bounced back pretty quick after that. But Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't even remember my dad being that upset about it. I honestly, knowing my dad, I'm sure he was probably like secretly somewhat proud. I was going to say, I thought I remember him laughing and being like, Alex, this isn't football. <laughs> that, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he knew, I mean, I mean, this later was the on same man that it. was telling people that was bragging about pulling people's armpit hair out. So well, I mean, yeah. yeah, that was that was my move. That was my move later in life. Yeah. I got I got two kids kicked out because you know if someone someone rips out your armpit hair, you try not to punch them. Like, let's be honest. So, did you want to lead with your Lamar Jackson hot takes, or did you want to save that for later? And I guess I, I shouldn't say hot takes, but very you you seem very passionate about the subject. Okay, I guess my. My only thing with Lamar Jackson is it's clear that the NFL does not want to offer guaranteed contracts to quarterbacks. Um, Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed deal. That's an outlier. If you have one of them, it's an outlier. If you have two, it sets a precedent. Now, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I'm a former MVP. I'm 26 years old. I am probably have a career later. People only say he's good with his legs. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. The thing is, is that you're able to get a true former MVP in this prime. The man wants a fully guaranteed contract. And I can't blame him because a guy who had over 20 sexual assault allegations, again, allegations, but still got a fully guaranteed contract. And they bent over backwards trying to get this. Like the Falcons went for him. The Panthers went for him. All of these teams that have openly coming out said, and said, I do not want Lamar Jackson, went for Deshaun Watson. That's a horrible look for the NFL, and it's a horrible look of what they value as um, talent-wise. Like why? So tell me the difference between Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, because get the pros and cons of those two quarterbacks, I'm checking, LeBron, I'm checking Lamar Jackson every single time and doing a negative to Deshaun Watson every single time. Yeah, and I think you brought up a really good point, too. Um, Deshaun Watson missed an entire year of football before he even got that guaranteed contract. We've been watching Lamar in real time do his thing. And, you know, to your point, 
does he rely on his legs a lot? Yes, but look at him. He's not built like Cam Newton. He doesn't take hits like Cam Newton and Jalen Hurts normally do or the Josh Allens of the world. Like, he's not bullying people over. He's just a speedy speed demon that also happens to be pretty damn good at throwing a football. So I'm right there with you, Alex. It, it just really seems like there's just a collective effort to not allow these guaranteed contracts into the NFL because I think the NFL owners see the NBA and they want no part of players having that much say in where they get to play, how they play, things of that nature. So, you know, we'll see, but uh, yeah, I, 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 it's very interesting to me that uh, more teams were willing to take a chance on Deshaun Watson after a year out of football than they were on Lamar. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess that's the most confusing thing to me because, I mean, he's an MVP-level talent at arguably the most important position in football. And so that's why I get so confused as to why there aren't more teams trying to hop on it. And from it sounds like from both of your perspectives, it kind of seems like more of a Colin Kaepernick conspiratorial thing among the owners to make sure to protect their pockets. I mean, I think I think like the main – the main issue specifically with Lamar and the guaranteed contracts is, um, <clears throat> I mean, the NFL, let's be honest, in some capacity is an organized, like, it's an organized crime syndicate. Like, and I don't mean that they're doing nefarious things, but at the same time, to say that you can sit here and say the NFL hasn't done nefarious things, it's just not true. I think the more important thing is that these men are all billionaires. And when you own a sports team, it's literally the only business in the world for the last 20 to 30 years has increased in value every single time. You look at um, the commanders are about to be sold. Dan Snyder bought them in 1999, I believe for $800 million. Uh, he just got an offer for $6 billion to buy the team. Now, what other business can you possibly have that level of growth and have a pretty stagnant increase in salary over time like yes these contracts are going up we have seen that we've obviously seen it grow but to you know to literally have a team that was worth 800 million dollars and then have it worth 6 billion in the span of 18 years that's just a ridiculous amount of growth over time and same thing with baseball nba you've never there's never been a team that's been bought and then been sold for less than what it was purchased for in the last 30 years yeah, I mean, you're you're knocking it out of the park on that one, Alex. I I really uh, I find it personally, I find it disgusting. But you know, I mean, until more people kind of, you know, much like Mars doing, he just in of course he's not a worker like we are. Obviously, he makes way more money. But let's also be honest, his value in terms of how good he is at his job. We're not on the same level as Amar, so we can't demand that kind of money. But until more of the NFL players just start demanding these guaranteed contracts, it just won't get any better for him. So, you know, but um, I did want to go back, though, to uh, when we were first meeting Alex, because I think one of the things that you and I share a lot um kind of how our brains are wired and in in that 
you know, we both have been diagnosed with ADHD. And for those of you who don't know, it's called attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Um, some people, uh, you know, some people might argue that it's not a real disease. Um, I know we've talked about that uh, quite a bit, but I wanted to get your thoughts just kind of how how the perception around ADHD has changed um, in the time since we've known each other. I guess, you know, shoot, man, we're next year, it'll be 20 years since we've known each other. So I just wanted to, to see what your thoughts Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I technically was diagnosed in third grade. Um, I don't know when, when, when did you technically get your diagnosis? Uh, 11, it was in middle school sometime. So I was probably, it was sixth or seventh grade. So I was 11 or 12, I want to say. Okay. So I got, I got a little diagnosed before you. So, yeah. So when I was in third grade, I guess I was eight at the time. Um, you know, I was a hyperactive kid. Um, obviously things like every kid is hyperactive between the ages of one and five. Like it's not a huge issue, but it was more about impulse control between the ages, like first and third grade, just about doing things without really taking the time to think about it. Um, so, so I was diagnosed, so I diagnosed in third grade. Um, I had to, at that point you had to, um, be diagnosed and by a clinical psychologist. So my dad was a, um, my dad was a psycho, a PhD psychologist, so he obviously had some friends for references. Um, so I went and saw a clinical psychologist. They did the whole bunch of testing. I had to fill out like, um, some sort of test. There was pictures involved. I can't really remember exactly what it took. I'm sure there's a scientific name for it. I just don't know what it is, but did that whole thing was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, for a while there, they changed to the, uh, the diagnosis to ADD, and then they recently changed it back to ADHD because they said that leaving out the hyperactive part was essentially um, just not accurate because you can't have ADD without the ADHD um, where your brain's overstimulated. So I was put on Ritalin in third grade. Um, I think probably five milligrams or something. I would take it before school, um, <clears throat> kind of just do that. Nothing too crazy. Uh, then I think I switched up to Adderall when I was in, uh, fifth grade. The first time I ever took it, they gave me like a 20 XLR or something way too much. Essentially, I just like zombied out and like just was not a functional person. Um, I literally like, um, just like sat down and just stared at the wall. So we <laughs> adjusted that dosage down. So it was fine. Um, so I was on that till I believe I was 14. So then I started doing travel lacrosse. And when I was doing travel lacrosse, you could not, the coach could not, um, pass out stimulants and Adderall is technically methamphetamine. So they just were not allowed to carry that. So I had to switch to Stratera, which was, um, technically a non-stimulant ADHD medication. Now I honestly don't know if it really worked. Um, but I was on that till I want to say 16. And then at that point I just kind of stopped taking it. Um, and then when I went to college, I got a prescription for Adderall again. I kind of like only took it when I had my classes. There was, um, 
which is a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class schedule. So I would take one in the morning and it would last for six hours, which was the duration of my tests or my classes, just because when I'm on Adderall, I can't eat. Um, I like literally, I just, I suppresses my appetite completely. Um, I'm not really the same person. Um, I focus better and I'm able to pay more attention, but, um, just, I don't know, just affect the way it affects me personally. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, and then I did a lot of like, uh, personal coping things, like a really big thing that my, that was good for me was my dad lit a candle. Um, and he did this demonstration with me where essentially you take your hand and you wave it over the flame. Now, if you wave your hand over the flame and you just stick your finger through it real quick, you don't get burned. But if you obviously keep your finger in the in the flame in the flashpoint, you're going to be burned. So the exercise was kind of saying to identify when your flashpoint is, like when you feel that coming and how to get yourself out of that. So <clears throat> I'm, for now, I'm not on medication at all. But I can feel when I can feel my brain overstimulated. It's kind of like my heart rate feels like it goes up. I have like this weird rush of adrenaline and I can just feel like just being overstimulated. So the bigger thing is kind of trying to identify that. I kind of shut down and I try to relax and not really do anything because I know that it's just kind of impulsive and everything. Um, one time I drank a bang energy and that really, really took everything to the thing. It took me two and a half hours to do the dishes. So there are some things that <laughs> definitely like overstimulate it, but it's, it's pretty, I don't know. I'm just identifying the flashpoint, I guess is my biggest thing. I don't know how, how to, do you ever have that feeling, Jake? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to, I have to give you kudos, man. I mean, the fact that you can self identify it is really impressive because I, you know, we're the same age. I can't always do that. Um, I remember my mom once pulled my wife aside and said, you know, if he ever is in one of those manic moods where I'm just kind of bouncing all over the place, just give him some coffee. So my mom, she's fairly certain that she has ADHD and just knowing her, I would be willing to bet that if she were to go in and get professionally diagnosed, she would also have that. So her method throughout college and most of her adulthood was self-medicating with caffeine. So at different times in my life, when I would take uh, breaks to see if I could live, uh, live a relatively normal life without it, I would use copious amounts of caffeine to self-medicate, and that has always really helped me out. Um, I prefer using medication because I feel like I can harness my brain power, if that makes sense. The way that it, the way it feels to me is that my brain is moving a million miles an hour, but I can't control how it's moving and what it's moving towards. And I can get in these modes where I can hyper-focus on something and shut everything else out around me. Um, Sam, I'm sure you can probably attest to this, but sometimes I'm literally, I, I'm in my own head and I'm kind of on autopilot mode around me. And that's when I know I can really zone in and just whoosh. It's like, 
it feels like a scene out of Limitless, honestly. Um, I know that seems weird, but uh, what? Yeah, I mean, what things. What's the difference between ADD and ADHD besides obviously the letter H? Well, so ADD no longer exists. Um, they had it for for initial part, but I believe. I mean, let me try to fact check this. I don't want to say it, but I believe that ADD, ADD, and ADHD are no longer separate diagnoses because without, like, like I said, the the H being left out was kind of oxymoronic at some things because to say that you have attention deficit disorder without a hyperactive, like without a hyperactive ability of your brain being overstimulated, didn't really make sense. And when did they, uh, when did that change occur where they no longer used ADD and just went to ADHD? I don't know. Um, but I do, I, I'm, I'm with Alex. I do know that that's a thing that's happened because, uh, originally I was diagnosed with ADD. Then the diagnosis changed to ADHD. And, and uh, at some point in time that that's, uh, flip flopped. I, I just don't know when. I just don't. Personally, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I just get my prescription and keep it moving for the most part. Wow, I guess it was—I guess it was a lot earlier than I thought. I just looked this up. It's 1994, so that's when they decided that it was that. But I guess for a long time, that people just didn't adjust to it. Yeah, I was gonna say because I felt like definitely through <laughs> our childhood and stuff, it'd still get referred to as ADD. Um, well, besides obviously, you know, that being changed, how do you guys in your lifetime feel the perception and connotations around ADHD have changed for either the good or the bad? Uh, so, you know, when I was in elementary school, um, my principal at the time, um, you know, like that was still a pretty new diagnosis for everything. I think dyslexia at that point was just starting to really be recognized as an actual issue. And, and at that time, you know, those are the two most common diagnoses uh, for children in America is ADHD and dyslexia. Um, so dyslexia was finally starting to get its due diligence where, you know, pe- kids weren't no, kids were no longer just considered stupid. It was, con- it was shown that their brain just worked differently. So, my principal did not really believe that ADHD was an actual disorder. And most of the time, you know, it was just a kid acting out and just being a little rambunctious or like the parents weren't doing the right thing and he hadn't have the um, correct structure at home. So uh, when I was in third grade, I was put in resource. Now resource at the time was more a collective it was just a hodgepodge. It wasn't really specialized for any specific disorder. It would, you know, um, obviously if there was a much, if you had a much bigger um, deficiency in some aspects, you might go to a different room. But, you know, if the kids that had um, emotional issues, <clears throat> ADHD, um, cognitive disabilities were all kind of in this resource class, which, um, granted, my resource teacher was amazing. Like she fully believed in ADHD helped me a lot with how to cope with things. But, you know, her program, I think, was mostly there because it was required at the state level, but not because our principal was really backing it. Um, but, you know, there was a stigma with the resource room because you're with people that have other disabilities and other stuff because you're all grouped into it. So even if though that you just have dyslexia or ADHD, people are seeing the outside and they're more like, so what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on with you? 
And there were certain benefits you could have for being in resource. Like I was able to have the ability to, when tests were administered, I could take my tests, go to the resource room and take it. Now I did do that for a while, but then and obviously, you know, kids are kids and they're like, oh, you just go to this room so you can cheat. Like you're, you get extra time, you get to use calculators, you're doing all this stuff that's giving you an unfair advantage. Now, when you're already like labeled as something, you don't want to add more to it. So I very rarely use that the older I got just because, I mean, if you already have that stigma on you, like being a young kid's hard and having more people say that you're getting unfair advantage or that you're, you know, essentially cheating and doing things better than them. Like, it's just, it's very, it's very hard to do and to deal with. So peer pressure I, is the case. Uh, yeah. And, and that's like the big thing. And so, um, when I got to high school though, or middle school, again, like I still had all those options, but I just didn't use them because I just didn't, I, I just, I just truly thought that there would be like an unfair labeling if I did. And I think, you know, for me, Sam, I just didn't like talking about it because that's the exact type of stigma I wanted to avoid. I think what sometimes people don't understand is that when you have ADHD, um, one of, one of, one of the symptoms that is often present is really low self-esteem because you feel different than everybody else. Your brain works different than everybody else. So even though it's really common now, for me personally, you know, it's, it's a fucked up feeling to think that you ha you can't really quote unquote act normal unless you're on a pill and you see everybody else acting and functioning normally and they can concentrate and they can live their lives without, without uh, any impediment. And you can only get some of that by taking a pill. Um, it, it, uh, it really feeds into insecurities. And especially when you're a kid, we just talked about that peer pressure. You know, you don't want, you don't want to have to deal with it because not only are kids mean, but just like Alex was talking about, some of the teachers didn't even think it was real and i can speak from personal experience i've had multiple people that i've encountered in my life who for one reason or another either don't understand the diagnosis or um you know they they just don't choose to be informed about something they don't understand which is totally fair and normal um but it is real it is absolutely a true confirmed medical diagnosis it's been proven over and over again it actually exists um, many of the, uh, high, uh, what would you call it? The high risk sports, many of those people often have ADHD because one of the weird things about ADHD is that we have this weird craving for, uh, dopamine and dopamine is something that you get, um, you can get at least through those, like, you know, super high risk sports or activities, which goes back to what Alex was talking about, those impulsive decision making, your risk reward risk. I don't know if they're called receptors. I'm not a scientist or a doctor. So forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn here, but your risk reward is not really developed like everybody else's. And so I think for me as a kid growing up, 
I just tried to hold it in and not talk about it because it was way easier to do that. And one of the reasons that Alex and I are such good friends is because I could always talk to him about that. I knew exactly what he was. He knew he knew exactly what I was going through every single day. And I'm, you know, I'm with you, Alex. I never really latched on to those resources in high school and college um, to be, you know, because I didn't, I didn't want to have some weird label and I was way more concerned about what other people thought of me than I should have been at the time. Obviously I'm an adult now, so it's, uh, it's a lot easier to sit here and think back, but I was just a kid. We didn't know any better, you know, mom and dad, Sam, you remember how they were growing up. It's not like they really knew how to help. That's why they took me to the doctor. So I think now as an adult, it's way more acceptable and I don't feel ugly or weird talking about it because it's normal. And I think people understand that. And I think that the more science advances, it's easier to find those symptoms. I think one thing I get really, I used to get frustrated with in college was seeing how many people would abuse that type of medication because in my opinion, it, all it does is just it makes it seem like anybody should take it to do any kind of mundane task where maybe they don't realize that. I mean, Sam, Alex, you can attest to this. If I'm not on my medication, you can tell. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of an understatement. So. What the, and I mean, kind of speaking to something you just mentioned, Jake, what do you and Alex think that family members and friends can do to help like support and understand their loved ones that do have ADHD? Um, I think I was pretty lucky with my family for understanding it. Um, I mean, as Jacob is pretty aware, like I'm the most conservative member of my immediate family. Which, <laughs> I mean, if you guys know me, that's kind of a wild statement to, to say. Um, but they were always pretty accepting of it, um, which was fine. But I think the verbiage was different where my family would always like consistently say like, oh yeah, your brain works differently or like your brain works differently than other people, which again is accurate. But that consistent like pointing out that isn't necessarily needed. <laughs> like I'm aware of it. I'm in my 30s at this point. For you to still say that to me, like let's 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 find some new things to say. So I think it's yeah, more we're not about, alcoholics, yeah. you know. I mean, exactly. For God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's more just like, um, you know, being supportive when it's there, but also just not treating us like any different. I mean, we're not any different. Like yes, like there are abilities where we have. Um, harder things to do like Jacob said about how he's able to zone in on stuff the way that I zone in on stuff is because like my like I said like my brain does get easily distracted so when I know I have to do something uh, that I need to lock in I usually throw on my headphones I'll put on like the Beatles because I've heard every single song a hundred hundreds of times so I'm able to just kind of have that in the background and then I focus on whatever I'm doing now for people that do not have this they do not understand how that works. They're like, how can you possibly be listening to music while also writing a research paper? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. And I go, well, it's more about the fact that I'm distracting all the other stimuli because I'll, like I put on the noise canceling, 
all I can hear is this music and all I'm focusing on is the paper project, whatever I'm doing at work, because it just takes up. Spot on. I mean, that's exactly what I would do in college is just put a song on repeat um, and just go to town. Like I can tell you in my Russian history class that I took, I would put on uh, Medina Lake and I would put that album on. Uh, they were like a not I don't know what they're like a fallout boy type band, but a little bit darker, I guess. But I would just put that album on on repeat and just crank out whatever I needed to do for that class. And that was just how it just helped me concentrate because it was like white noise for my brain. If that makes sense. And to your back to your question, Sam, I mean, like what Alex said, you just got to we're not any different. And in fact, we have a lot of advantages that I think people tend to misunderstand. You know, I have a lot of weird, random facts rolling around in my brain. I think that when we do concentrate on something we love. I, this is my opinion. So again, it's an opinion, not a fact, but I believe that our brain power, we can harness more of our brain power when we're really interested in something. I think we have a huge advantage of that over most people. When we're in something and we're in the zone, we can use our brain way more than you know, the average person, as uh, as some might say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, this is actually a good segue kind of in our into our next topic about mental health um, and kind of where we're at as a society now. And uh, I know you and I, Alex, have talked about this a lot, but we wanted we wanted to get your opinion on like why you know not only why is it important for people to talk about their mental health now but kind of the perception around mental health you know say when we were younger versus now i mean to be honest like mental health was always like when i talked about like how i didn't want to use the resource room that was the least of my like hidden thing so I, like I said, I was in third grade and I had to go to a clinical psychologist to get diagnosed. Now, I also, you know, I'm, I was never just a medication guy. I also did therapy about how to deal with uh, and help identify the triggers that caused me to get to that mode. So I've been in and out of therapy since third grade. I think I did it like third to fifth, took a break. Um, right before middle, like before, like middle school, like seventh, eighth grade, I went back and then high school, I didn't go at all. Um, and then I went a little bit after my freshman year of college. And then I went back for a little while when I was in my mid twenties, like 24 to 20, 25. And then, um, I've also recently started going back in the last year. So I think I'm about six months in on this one. Um, not six months, probably less than that, probably like three. <clears throat> but, you know, that, like being in therapy when we were in the, you know, 90s and the early 2000s, like that was a real, like something's wrong with you thing. It wasn't, it wasn't what it is now where it's like, okay, like my job is super stressful. I feel like I bring it home. 
and it's affecting my personal life and I can't escape because my, like my job is affecting my stress outside. So I dread going to work. And then when I come home and bring it home, it affects my personal relationships. So like, my entire life is not escape. Like that just, but like that is now a thing that's talked about and recognized, but it just used to be like, you're just being weak or you need to figure it out. And I think like the bigger thing is just for so long, there's obviously still two camps about it right now. And, you know, um, boomers and what's, what's the general, what's the generation before boomers that are still around? I thought boomers are old. I was going to say old fuck, but yeah. Wait, are Mima, is Mima not a boomer? No, I guess. No, they are definitely. No, they're definitely. Wait, is, is. Wait, hold on. I feel like Mima's a boomer and like our grandparents are boomers and our parents are Generation X. Okay, so baby sense. boomers <laughs> are defined as people born from 1946 to 1940, 1964. Yeah. So yeah, that would mean them. that would mean mom and dad and Mima and Papa were uh the silent generation. Hmm. I think, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. That's pretty apt. That's pretty apt name for them because they just didn't talk about anything. Right. <laughs> and, you know, um, I mean, we're seeing a pretty big revolution just in general about topics that didn't used to be talked about in general. Um, not just mental health, but like a big thing right now is, um, like I said, it's still in mental health, but, you know, uh, pregnancy in women specifically, um, wasn't talked about for a very long time. Um, like how common miscarriages are, uh, postpartum depression, depression during pregnancy, all of these things that kind of just weren't mentioned where it was always just like, you're supposed to have this beautiful nine months, everything goes perfect. And if anything, you're suffering, it's, it's, you're suffering alone. And it's, that's just not accurate because everybody has a very similar story and everybody knows that at some point pregnancy really sucks. And now it's finally being talked about. And I feel like a lot for a long time, it wasn't. And I think very similar, the same thing with like therapy and people's personal struggles where you're much more open about talking to it and letting people in. Um, I don't know exactly what has caused that change though. Like, do you, do you have any ideas, Jake, of like why we're now more open to describing it to everybody? I think as we grow and learn as a society, I think we just recognized that hiding things never works. And I have, I, I am a big believer in the truth will set you free. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. And, uh, I don't think talking about your mental health is ugly. I think it's important because it helps people understand that we're all human. Everyone's going through something, um, you know, as my parents would say, everyone has their own cross to bear. Um, actually, whoa, I whoa, 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 sorry. Yeah, hey, 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 say. I backed it up. I backed it up. I backed it up. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that we, the human experience, and it will only benefit us in the long run if we all recognize that everyone has their own battle, individual battles, and a lot of those battles are between the ears, and people need that because 
there's billions of us on this planet and we're a lot more similar uh, than we are different, regardless of what uh, most people would want to believe or think. I, I feel like the human experience is one that we need to be more open, open and honest with each other about. And it's important. I, I just think that because there's more of us and more people are willing to talk about it, the, e the easier it's going to get, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's, I guess that's really the best way I can describe it. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously I don't think there's just one thing that makes it so now it's talked about so much more and it's more acceptable to talk about it. Um, I would say the two things that first come to my mind is technology and with technology comes easier communication like you were talking about, Jake. Um, people are able to communicate with more people, a larger audience, and then they can understand, oh, you know, I'm not the only person on earth with these feelings. And, hey, if these other people are feeling this way and they went and talked to somebody about it, you know, I should probably go do that, too. Um, as well as then the whole technology thing. I mean, you can do video calls with your therapist now. You could just do it over the phone. Um, and so I definitely think technology plays a large part of it. Uh, but then the other thing I would say is that with humans and evolution, I feel like uh, when, and, you know, obviously Jake uh, can attest to this and, you know, Alex, you're, I'm sure you're going to be starting a family at some point now that you're married, so you could attest it, to it as well. But I feel like when people become parents, they're going to, do uh, you know, parent in a way either they didn't like what happened in their childhood, so they're going to do the opposite of that. Or they really like what happened in their childhood, so then they're going to repeat that. So that's why I also feel like there's been a shift to where it's more open recently, because as we talk about that older generation was much more, no, keep it to yourself, keep it under, you know, you don't need to talk about it. And as people got older, they realized, hey, that's not healthy. I didn't like that as a kid. I need to make sure that going forward, I'm bringing this and raising this next generation to be much more open and honest about what they're feeling and what they're going through. Now, do you guys think that something in some ways has gotten a little, a <clears throat> uh, little too extreme at this point? Like I have um, several friends out in Ohio where they have uh, children that are like teenagers, middle schoolers at this point, And they said that it's kind of like a different thing where, kids identify their trauma early <laughs> which um like when they're doing it in middle school or high school and they're some of them are saying like yeah like you did this when i was younger so now i feel this way and i'm not trying to say that they're invalid or wrong but i'm also just wondering if it's even possible to really identify it that early and to the point where maybe you haven't fully developed yet or you're not out of middle school or high school so how can you really know <laughs> exactly what it is? Um, but I mean, I guess, I guess I'm happy that they're talking about it more openly, but I also wonder if people are maybe self-diagnosing it without actually reaching out to true professionals to help guide them and more, you know, going to the TikTok therapist or the Instagram therapist where it's just that 30 second clip of like somebody saying something and them trying to self-identify. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, once again, you know, I don't think it's 100% one way or the other. I definitely think it's a bit of both. Uh, and it kind of goes back to that technology thing, because now 
once again, more people are talking about it as adults. So then, like you said, those kids can go to Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, and see those adult adults talking about stuff that they identified in their childhood as trauma. So then the kids then at a younger age, since it's being talked about, are able to recognize it earlier. But at the same time, I think we all can agree and understand that, you know, you don't really realize how much of a kid you are until you continuously getting older. Like, you know, when you're 13, I felt like I was a grown up and like, oh, man, I was such a baby back then. Once again, I turned 16, 18, 21, now, you know, 30. And then I think back, oh, in my 20s, I was still a kid. And so then it's like, okay, well, in my 40s, am I going to think even when I was 30, I was a little kid? So I definitely think, uh, you know, it's a careful balance. They are, you know, some of them are able to recognize stuff and some of it is correct. Um, But much like anything, nobody's 100 percent. And certainly one of those things that benefits and comes with age is perspective because of those experiences. Um, So then you're just able to identify those things better and more accurately, I feel like. Yeah, and I think just adding on to, you know, the WebMD types of the world, it's a double-edged sword because I could go on there and find symptoms that tell me that I'm not healthy or well, but that doesn't mean I'm actually sick. So I, I, I think to your point, Sam, the biggest thing is that what I think a lot of the children may, may not have just yet is perspective. And while that perspective uh is missing it it doesn't allow those kids to have the insight into what's actually going on in their lives because you know what a 13 year old deciding that they don't like the way they're being parented well let's be honest with you let's be honest with each other here there were plenty of times when we were that age that we weren't exactly thrilled with the way our parents chose to parent us but that doesn't mean it was the wrong way to go about it so Without that perspective of being some of in our 30s, it. yeah, some of it absolutely was, right? And to your point, that's that's my point. Like, they won't know, they won't have that perspective until they get older, until they have more of those life experiences that kind of uh, help give them a little bit more clarity onto what is actually going on, you know? But to your point, yeah, yeah I definitely think, Alex, that there are some there are some kids who are probably going to uh, the extreme to diagnose themselves because honestly, I, I think, uh, and this is obviously just an opinion, but it seems like one of the cool things to have right now is some kind of neurological disorder. Um, again, this is only what I see on the internet. So take it with a really fat grain of salt, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely will continue to be a problem. Um, cause we're in the information age right now and actually we're in the misinformation age and, um, I don't think that's going to, to change anytime soon. But, um, now I wanted to go back, Alex, and, and just quickly talk about, uh, therapy. Uh, one of the things that I always tried to, when people are talking about therapy, it's, um, I think because of your and my unique experiences um, being in therapy as long as we both have for a little perspective, I've been seeing uh, clinical professional, uh, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists since I was about, I don't know, uh, 
third grade, fourth grade, something like that. My first experience was because I kept lying to all of the kids at Edgewood because uh, I would tell them we were going to move back to Indianapolis. And my parents were really worried that something weird was going on. And I kept telling everybody that that's we were going to move back, which it had no it was not true at all. It's just what I wanted. Um but I think sometimes, and much less so now than when we were younger, but sometimes there's still a stigma around therapy. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you look for when you're not only trying to find a therapist, but what you're looking for to get out of therapy. Um, so I think the big, the big thing with therapy is specifically for people that are starting to get into it since you and i have been it for so long we understand that there is trial and error when you find a therapist or a psychologist um, very rarely are you going to reach out especially to someone that you haven't met with before and click immediately um, i mean i think i have seen five different people throughout my life um, and that's five people regularly the amount of people that i've attempted to see is probably more like 10 or 15. Um, <clears throat> specifically people when they do their first entry into therapy, they're already nervous about it. They're already uncomfortable because number one, it's therapy isn't easy. It's rough. It's raw. There are times that you feel fantastic leaving it. And there's times that you feel like you, all you want to do is go home, sit down, read a book, or like just literally zone out of the world. And it's difficult specifically because obviously when you're going through that and you're identifying issues in your life and stuff, there are moments that you'll realize that, wow, maybe that was an actual key moment that has kind of, you know, formed me into who I am and how I view the world and how like my life was formed. And that's not easy to do. Um, and especially when you don't vibe with someone, I mean, being a therapist, like, your therapist needs to be someone you're comfortable with and needs to be someone that you feel that you're being heard. I have had plenty of times where I talked to people and it felt like they were just writing things down and were looking more to try to label me as something than opposed to listen to what I was actually saying. Now, that is, again, my opinion. I do not know them. I'm not in their brain. But my comfortability with them is what's important to me. So there are plenty of some, there have been plenty of times where I have met with somebody and pretty much essentially said, this isn't a good fit. I don't want to do it. Now with me, because I've been in it for so long, I understand that that's a reality and I'll keep looking for someone until I do feel comfortable. For the initial people that are just starting out, especially in their thirties or later, it's very, first of all, it's, it's, it's very brave to go to therapy in the first place to put yourself out there. So then when you do and you don't click with this person, you have this initial sense of shame and failure where you took this giant risk and it didn't work out and maybe you don't want to do it again. And I always try to tell people that especially have that, like keep trying and keep going for it. If you feel that you need to do it, you're going to have to put in the work and it's going to suck. And I mean, for me specifically to find a new therapist, which I did this last three months or to then have to recap every single thing that I've already talked about since <laughs> since I was eight and unpack a whole bunch of other things with someone completely new, it, it's horrible. And it's, it's frustrating because 
there are things that they're like, oh, I want to talk about this. And I'm like, no offense to you, but I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about this. We can talk about this later, but this is not what I'm trying to focus on right now. And for me specifically, um, uh, a thing that happens all the time is so when I was 19, um, my dad took his own life and I was the person who found him in the garage. Now, obviously, that is a big flashpoint in trauma. And then when I talk to new therapists and I mention that point, obviously, that's one of the first things they want to try to focus on. Now, I spent a lot of time dealing with that over time, and I've spent a lot of time working with that. So I'm comfortable in that phase of my life with that specific event. But and I mean, it's to be fair, it's a very like it's what they've kind of gone to school for. It's what they want to see. And it's like it's a very major part of someone's life. So I understand the, the need to want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about that. And sometimes they don't understand that and they'll try to keep revisiting it. And I have to be firm and say, like, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about other things. So <clears throat> it's important for you to also own the, the experience and the sessions where you have to look at yourself and identify what you need to be helped fixed on and then try to focus on that and not let them necessarily direct the sessions but help you in your own experience yeah um that was really that was really powerful alex thank you and uh i i really don't have much to add you pretty much nailed everything on the head you know um yeah i, was I gonna think say beautifully put yeah really well done man we love you to death dude love you too guys uh, yeah, like that's like that, that, that. That's the real thing. It's if you're thinking about therapy, if you feel like you have something in your life that you need to work on, go for it. And just don't be discouraged if it doesn't work out the first time. Um, I use telehealth right now. Works out really well. It's part of uh, my insurance program with my with my job. Um, I I unfortunately like my sessions are literally on, on my phone in my car in the work parking lot <laughs> for an hour. So um, that's how I do it. I'm not saying it works the best. Some people need to have in person. Some people don't. It's up to you. But just if the first person that you interact with, you feel like it doesn't vibe, just don't shut the complete process down. Try to try to at least listen to another person or someone else. Like it's completely okay to not click with somebody and you didn't fail and you didn't do something useless. It's just your comfortability with somebody that's important. So just don't give up if you have if you have the guts and the strength to do it in the first place don't be discouraged if it doesn't work out the first time it rarely rarely ever does well said yeah and for what it's worth i also use the telehealth app because the therapist i have um she only comes up to dallas uh like once a month so i usually do my sessions either in the car when i get home from work or like locked in a room um so definitely don't feel ashamed about that at all alex i think it's great and obviously you know it's it's just important again i think a large a large part of why we were excited to have you on here is because we wear 
we wear who we are on our sleeves. We are who we are. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And if you do, you do. And um, I know that's one of the reasons I really uh, love and appreciate you as a friend, because you are open and honest about who you are. And this is this is just another great example of why that is. And, uh, you know, I, for one, I'm really thankful that that we got to have you on to chat with us today because uh, you just proved exactly why it's important now more than ever for people to talk about what they're going through. So I think really it was a really nice summation that, that you had there, man. So again, I tip my cap to you very well done. Um, Wanted to move on to something a little bit more lighthearted. We had our top five for this week. Alex, I want you give us just a little bit of background on what our top five is going to be this week, and then just just hop right in, man. Let's let's. Get... All right. So the top five that we're doing this week is the top five um, experiences with the Marsh Brothers and myself included. Now, <laughs> I'm really not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the list was incredibly long at first. Um, we all collectively talked about how many times we had to delete things because we're like wait this is a funny story but probably not something that we need to rehash especially in the public (laughs) eye um so i'll go ahead and start with my fifth one and the fact that this is number five for me specifically it kind of expresses like how much we've been through with each other um so when we were in high school we went to go see the movie 300 and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to see the movie 300 now if any of you all have ever gone to a movie with jake and sam to say that these two eat popcorn is an understatement they just demolish tubs of popcorn jacob will eat an entire large tub of popcorn before like the previews start if we're 10 minutes early same thing with Sam. So they, so they each got two large things of popcorn. We're done before the previews even started. And a little bit of backstory about this. This is the second time we went to C300 because the first time we did, I read it as 120 minutes or I read it, I read it as an hour and 20 minutes long opposed to 120 minutes. So EJ and I had to leave because of lacrosse practice. So we only saw like an hour and 20 minutes of the movie and we didn't see the rest of it so we had to go back i bought jacob's and ej's ticket i think i can't remember and so then <laughs> we got the two tubs of popcorn they finish it finish it, eating it and then jake and sam like let's go get us a refill and i was like go get your own refill and they go bro especially jacob goes bro come on you maybe missed the first movie you have to do this and i was like okay fine <laughs> so i go fill up the popcorn i think i was probably like 16 or 17 i don't remember but I go, okay, I'm going to get there. And we were in the middle of the row and there was a whole bunch of other people in the way. And I didn't really feel like getting up and everything. So when I left, I went and just like, kind of like crawled over the seats to get the popcorn. So I'm coming back <laughs> and I, for some reason, decide to instead of just step over like a normal person, I'm going to jump over <laughs> the row of seats. Well, as I jump over the row of seats, one of my feet catches the... <laughs> the top of the seat and i essentially just crash into the next row <laughs> of chairs <laughs> explode the popcorn everywhere like two large things of popcorn just go flying 
And obviously, we're not the only ones in this movie theater. So these people just see like this gangly 17 year old kid just explode two large things of popcorn all over the floor. And then not only am I wildly embarrassed, but Jacob stands up and essentially goes, go get more popcorn. Okay, this let's also a... let's also rewind because the entire theater burst out laughing. That is what I remember uh, well, the most about that. One, I guess, could be another one where my memory is failing because I had this as my fifth moment too. Funny enough, Alex. Um, but I thought I could have sworn it was super bad that we were seeing all together because I remember Greg was there. I'm pretty sure Wozniak and Cameron too. I thought it was super bad when this happened at NCG. It's possible. All I, I, mean, I think I saw Superbad a couple times because I remember the first time I saw it. Um, we saw it together, Alex, because Terrence yeah. Patrick was sitting in front of us and the movie theater was filled. And we. Amy Hall was there too, and it was before we yes. were dating. Yeah, and that's why I, re- I thought it, I, I, I thought I remember it being super bad. We'll have to check with the rest of the guys, but that's why I remember you getting the refills, which obviously would also work with the three hundred, but. With you getting the refills, I remember it was because you were like, oh, well, Alex has already seen it, so he should be the one to leave and go get the refills. <laughs> the classic Ron Marsh train of thought. Yeah, you've seen it already. You get the refill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so Sam, you had the same fifth one. Jacob, what's your fifth one? Uh, number five, it didn't involve all three of us, but my number five was when we were TPing, uh, someone's house. I'm not going to say whose. <laughs> and <laughs> as we're leaving, you realize that you had dropped your keys in the lawn. And so me, you and EJ are on our hands and knees looking for your car keys. I don't remember what time of night it was. Um, but I remember just being so convinced that we were going to get caught and uh yeah you remember me in high school i was always worried about getting in trouble um but that it was just a very funny moment for me because i remember being just being like of course this would happen while we were going to tp like of course we can't find the car keys to go home like i don't know what else i would have expected i mean also let's also just say that you kept saying come on alex are you serious you had one job (laughs) 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 and then i would just be like can you just shut up and help me look for the keys (laughs) it was so dark out too i remember being super pissed because i just that was before cell phones had that was before cell phones had flashlights Using the screen of a razor to try to find it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about your razor, yeah. All right, um, so... What'd you have for ahead. number four? Number four is kind of a combined thing with all three of us um, at separate occasions most of the time. Um, we had, like, this... Uh, we had this... We had these friends in high school that... We, we were friends with the sister and friends with the brother. And we used to always hang out in their attic. Um... <laughs> At separate occasions, so. <laughs> just um, uh, I mean, I guess I can say it. But just Ben and Sven and Views uh, at just good memories. Where I mean, yeah, it just kind of the rotation. That was just like a really cool hangout spot that we all used to hang out with in high school because we thought we were super edgy hanging out in an attic. <laughs> but it was a pretty nice attic. Like I mean, let's be honest, it was good. Dope attic. Uh, and funny enough, that was actually my number three, so I'll kind of just do my three and four together. 
Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that uh, was definitely the kind of side friendship Alex and I had away from Jake was hanging out with you and Sven. I remember uh, going to a few parties uh, on campus with Alex and you, and that was a lot of fun. Just made me feel like an adult, um, which is also kind of goes into my memory for number four that I chose. Uh, that was another one where it's just Alex and I, but well, as well as EJ, Keenan, and uh, I think Jim, but it was Sadie Hawkins my freshman year. And that was just, a, you know, <laughs> a cool experience just because, you know, everybody knows and I were 18 months apart. We're pretty much referred to as the Marsh Brothers. So especially when we were younger, there's a lot of group stuff, you know, we're kind of an item. So to be able to do something with the older guys, you know, his friends, but he wasn't there, that made me feel like really cool and old and like part of the scene. So I'll always remember that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I wish I wish I could have gone to that city office. <laughs> uh, let me refer back to the very first part of that how Alex introduced me. So yeah, if you can just uh, uh, imagine that, that's I would assume that's probably why I didn't get asked. But you know, um. <laughs> uh, I thought I remember that there was somebody that was gonna. Yeah, ask someone you. did ask you. Oh, you, God. you made sure to tell all her friends that you would say no if she did and so that then she didn't ask you. That's yeah, what I let remember. Me, let me refer back to part one of how Alex <laughs> me. Again, yet again. Weird <laughs> recurring theme. Oh my god. Yeah, weird. So you um, got it for Jake. My number four was uh, my, <laughs> my number four was smoking out of an Arnold Palmer can. <laughs> You see, okay, see, I didn't, I didn't know if this was, like, okay to put on the pod, but uh, <laughs> that was definitely one of them. It was one of my favorite memories because we, we were just so paranoid that Marie and her friend Roz were going to figure it out, and my mom wasn't home, and we knew we weren't supposed to be doing it, and I just remember, first of all, I didn't know how to MacGyver the can to get it ready, so I completely relied on you. Um, but that whole memory was just so funny to me because I remember we spent the entire time just being super paranoid that my little sister and her friend were going to, you know, figure out that we had been smoking and say something to my mom. And, you know, luckily, obviously, they didn't know about it. I've talked with Marie and they had absolutely no clue. So it ended up all working out. Yeah, my Ms. mom actually found on that Arnold Palmer can, can at one point, and she was like, oh, you can make this, but you can't do an algebra equation. And I was like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk um, about a false equivalence, man. Jesus. <laughs> I was like, mom, it's not even close to the same. All right. So number three for me, I had Club Rush New Year's Eve. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Um, so this one specifically isn't anything like it's not a positive memory, but it's also just hilarious because I think we were there with Lesky and like the whole group was there. You were dating somebody. I was dating somebody. Lesky was dating someone. Collectively that remember, night. It's like eight by everyone. That means we're rolling like eight to ten dudes deep in a group. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it it was, just, we, we were thick together. It was a mobile sausage factory. <laughs> Yeah, and then we somehow, we, and then we had our girlfriends allegedly there too. 
And so my girlfriend at the time and I, like, we just got in a huge fight because she's like, whenever you're with your guy friends, like, you just, like, ignore me. I'm like, well, I never see them, and I'm sorry. But collectively, that group, you, me, Lesky, and Jacob, I think we broke up a collective eight times (laughs) between the three of us that (laughs) night. (laughs) Like, it was, I I know Ann and I broke up and got back together, like, I think, like, twice. I think Lesky and his girlfriend broke up, like, three times. And it was just, like, the most ridiculous 22, like, it was the microcosm of, like, what it's like to date when you're 22. Where just, like, the smallest things blow up into these huge things. And obviously, when you have alcohol involved, too, like, it's never going to go well. But it was just, like, the most ridiculous story. Because then the next day, everything was fine between all of us and our girlfriends. Obviously, that didn't last because, you know, we're not with them or anything. But it was just literally, like, a microcosm of, like, what it's like to date in your 20s. Yeah, absolutely. What do you have as your number three, Jake? Um, I had the movie story that you already alluded to, but I had one that popped in my head real quick, so I'll just I'll just throw it out there. Um, the blueberry story, where you, Alex, apparently, damn, I don't know if Alex wants to have that be told on the <laughs> I mean, you can. It's fine, but it's like no, I just it's fine. I'll, I'll just I'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it. Well, I'll leave it at that. It's the blueberry. Oh my gosh. Story. Okay, then I'll, you know, I'll tell you know. the blueberries. I'll tell the blueberries. Story. <laughs> I love blueberries. I love blueberries. Alex, you don't have to tell it, dude. It's not. It's, I mean, I still love blueberries. It's not a big deal. Anyway, I love blueberries. Um, I got a five-pound crate of blueberries. And I was watching TV, and I was just snacking on them. I eventually realized that I had eaten the whole crate of blueberries. Um, now, if people are familiar with blueberries, that's not exactly best for your digestive system. And I had to miss practice because I couldn't leave the house. And so for, like, a solid month and a half, I was called blueberries. <laughs> so, lesson learned, kids. Do not eat five pounds of blueberries in one sitting. <laughs> Yeah, just a wild time. You got for number two. Um, so Sam already did his three. Number two, number two, I have the 14er and going to Grizz. This is when I visited you. Yes. My, with my now <laughs> wife. Um, we, <laughs> so like, I was like, okay, we're going to go to Denver. Let's go, let's go to Red Rocks. And, um, Grizz, he's a Michigan EDM artist. He does like Grizzness and other stuff like that. So he happened to be playing at Red Rocks. And I was like, okay, that's sweet. We'll go. So, um, you know, Jacob and I drinking, having a good time. We partook uh, in all the adult activities. All the all the adult activities. And the funniest <laughs> part is, one time we were trying to get we were trying to get drinks at one point, and then like the, all the credit card machines went down. So we ended up walking to like a different one, and they were all down. So then, right as we're about to leave, go back to Becca. Finally, like one opens up, so we like decide to essentially double up on what we planned on initially getting. So we'd probably get back to your apartment at what, like one thirty, maybe two. Yeah, it was, I was telling Sam it was like one or two a.m. It was very, very late. Yeah, and then we had to wake up at four, right? Yes. Yeah, so we woke up at four a.m. to go to this fourteener, and I was supposed to be the co-pilot. Well, I instantly just fall asleep and just snoring in the brain. So. <laughs> So we, Jacob pulls over and he's like, get out of the car and get in the back seat. I need someone to be awake with me. So my wife steps up and I'm just sleeping in the back of the car. Um, and then we 
you get to the 14er, which is for those that don't know, it's a 14,000 foot elevation climb. So we drive up to the park, but Jacob's got his old Volkswagen. Uh, which I still have, out. by the way. I still have. Yeah he's, got, yeah, he's got the Jetta. And this thing is just not designed to handle this road. There's just massive potholes and rocks everywhere. So we stop, like, I think probably like a mile from the top, and we park, and then we start walking up there. So we do the whole thing. Everything's good. We had to stop quite a bit. I mean, like, I wasn't in the best shape. Uh, you weren't really in hiking shape. Becca's just crushing us because she's always super, <laughs> super in shape. And then there's like other people that are just like running up the hill and trail running it. And it's just like, oh my God, like how bad are we compared to these people that are just like sprinting up this 14,000 foot mountain? Um, <laughs> one of the funniest parts of that is, is there's like a mountain goat <laughs> on the, on the mountain. And Jacob looks at me and he goes, Oh, dude, how, how is that thing just up here? Like, what, how is it able to do that? I'm like, this is its home, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, it lives here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there was a second peak that Becca wanted to do, but him and Jacob and I were just dead. So we're like, let's go back down. So we like are descending down and we're all like exhausted at this point. And we thought that it was a lot closer to the car from where we were than we, than it was, but <laughs> it wasn't. Luckily, this guy in a pickup truck uh, stops and he's like, hey, I'll take you guys to your car. So you will well, jump into bed. So we jump into bed and we're driving down. And as we're driving, like we, I don't know, probably like 10 minutes in that truck, I think. Right. You think? Yeah, at least 10 to 15 for sure. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, my God, we were way farther away than we thought. So luckily that was thing. But it was still like a great, absolutely great memory. Love it. It is definitely a top tier memory for sure. My number two, uh, I have two of them. One was just the Alex and myself memory of when we worked at L&L together. Uh, not really any <laughs> one specific moment, but <clears throat> just once again, you know, it was uh, working with older people that made me feel like really cool and old. Uh, but at the same time, just there was a lot of degenerates that worked at that L and L, so just kind of the first <laughs> story into like you remember, you remember Scott the cashier? Yeah, <laughs> he still works there. He still works there. That's impressive, Ben. <laughs> I walked it. I walked in like last time it was an Okemos because now it's not L and L; it's something else. But he is still the cashier, and he like re- recognized me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you still work here? <laughs> it's been twenty years." Hey man, consistency. Uh, but the other one that would involve all three of us is that first uh, JO trip, where once again, you know, I think you guys were all uh, maybe summer of your sophomore year, because I feel like it was summer of our Zach and I eighth grade year. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, right. we had a blast. It was just uh, also, you know, I would say it was one of the most fun J.O. trips just because in terms of adult supervision it was the least amount out of all the trips because that one was literally just uh dad and thick eyes as the coaches and then mom was the only other parent there so it was definitely a lot of uh teenage boy dicking around time which is always good when you're at that age what did you have as uh your number two jake um i had the pickle bet story 
as my number two. Um, Absolute failure. Absolute also, failure. Alex, Re- Jake, can I interrupt real quick? Very impressed yes, that can. neither of you decided to bring up uh, Cowboy Burger. I was very surprised that neither of you tried to mention that, but continue. I, mean, I still have number bet. one left. I just want to point out. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, the pickle bet story. Basically, Alex made a bet with Alex Baker, who, uh, for those dedicated listeners out there, you will remember was on the podcast earlier, and it was. Uh, over a game of basketball and the loser had to eat uh, as many pickles as they could. I don't, I don't know if there was a time limit or what the exact details were, but it involved eating a lot of pickles. And we're at the mustard mansion where Greg, Cam and Baker are living at the time. And what I remember is we're all sitting there, we're drinking, we're having a good time. And uh, Greg brings in all the pickles, and Alex said something effective. Oh, that's not enough. You're gonna need way more, or something like that. And I remember. <laughs> I remember. It was like three jars of pickles. It was so many pickles. It was so many pickles. And I remember Greg rolling his eyes and being, "Are you serious right now?" And Greg had to go get more pickles. And by the time Greg got back with more pickles, you had already tapped out and said, no, I can't eat anymore. I mean, okay, to be fair, I think I could do it better. But, I, I mean, when you were drinking in that time frame, it wasn't like I was having, like, a beer or two. I was probably ripping a couple shots. Like, I was probably feeling already kind of, like, gross. So eating an entire jar of pickles and drinking the pickle juice most likely did not help a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think like I could probably do a better pickle bet now. Um, Real but, question is, would you want to? <laughs> I mean, not particularly, but if I, I mean, if I lose in fantasy or something, then that needs to be revived. Yeah, like we'll we'll do we'll do something like that. We'll try to redeem it. But I mean, yeah, it's just it was just a poor timing and just it was a lot of build up. We had a Twitter account for it. <laughs> it, just, it just didn't work out. I think Greg sold that Twitter account, if I remember correctly, to somebody. Or yeah, I think so. Some, yeah, yeah, something like some something like that. An Australian team or something. So my absolute number one for the Marsh Brothers is again we were fourteen, so I hadn't really hung out with you guys that often, and it was like the beginning of our friendship. I think you'd just gotten a PS2, and um, we were playing Madden. Now I was pretty decent at Madden, but I didn't have a brother, so I only played against the computer. Or sometimes EJ on his GameCube. So, and EJ wasn't particularly good. EJ played like rookie. He didn't really play like the actual way to do. So I'd always was pretty pretty consistently against him. So I thought I was good because I would play on all Madden and win on a consistent basis. But you know, there's always a huge difference between playing a computer and playing a person. So again, I do not know Jacob this well. Jacob goes, "Hey, I'm gonna score a touchdown on you right now." He comes out in I form power. He I can see what he's doing. So he's pressing the forward on the line, like pushing down the middle. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I bring my defensive line in. I bring my cornerbacks in. I bring my linebackers in all to like stuff him at the line. Jacob does a fullback dive, halfback flip play and takes it to the fucking house. Now, (laughs) Jacob stands up. And as anybody who's been friends with Jacob Marsh for a long period of time knows exactly what he does when he absolutely dominates you in something. And essentially mimics jerking off all over my face and says, that's fucking right, motherfucker. <laughs> and 
I was like, okay, I've known this kid for about a month, but this is still pretty funny. And I'm just an absolute shame because he just destroys me with the shittiest trick play in the Madden, like, 04 game possible. The funny part about that is I'm fairly certain that Sam was the one that did that to me the first time. It's okay, buddy. That Sam was the one that did that to me the first time, and that's why why I wanted to bring it out. Because I know Sam, by the time we got done playing Madden or, you know, in our heyday, I definitely thought Sam was the better Madden player. I would just, you know, it's kind of like chess. Like, he'll win 65% of the games or something like that. I'll win 35, but yeah. Um... What'd you have for your number one, Sam? All about the audibles, baby. Um, my number one was uh, the first time I met Alex's wife, Becca. Um, when, once again, another uh, college fun memory of, uh, and I guess that's always the benefit too of being growing up in Okemos and then going to Michigan State is that then when you're at college, those break times. Um, it's just so much more fun because everybody comes home and then basically they come to hang out with you on campus. Uh, and in one circumstance where once again, you know, it was eight to 10 of us guys just drinking around. Uh, I don't know how it came about, but we decided that Westerville should wrestle the Taylor twins. I'm sure it's just because, um, if you don't know Westerville or haven't seen him, he's always been very, uh, you know, jacked, like very big, muscly. And so I think it was just one of those things where then once again, you know, Forrest and Reed are shorter guys. So it's like always like, oh, that would be a really interesting matchup. So then, yeah, just watching uh, them wrestle each other hammered. Alex got super, super red, obviously, because wrestling two people, I have to imagine, is an intense workout. Um, And, yeah, so that was just a, a really funny and great memory. Hey, I mean, I, I won one round out of two, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I, I, it was very impressive. <laughs> I was going to say after the pickle bet, pickle bet, so a lot of people were expecting similar results to the pickle bet, and you definitely uh, won you yourself back you some street cred. Promises made, promises kept, Alex. Well done. <laughs> um, my number one was uh it was going to be the Taylor Twin one but since that had since that one was shared I have I had an alternate that I really wanted to share so I was going to school this was in high school and uh it was in the spring because you were playing lacrosse Alex and I know you and EJ were really are you know you guys were really into it but you guys had like a game or something that day and I think I was going to like help coach the girls water polo practice or something. So, um, Alex had this gold Saturn throughout. High oh, school no. And oh, oh no. We had Mr. Schmibble, obviously. Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex was late and, uh, we're pulling into the parking lot about the same time. And Alex is coming in there like Vin Diesel, Don Toretto, you know, just way out of control. <laughs> and as we are trying to park, both of our cars, you accidentally ran into Mr. Schmibble and the only part of Mr. Schmibble that got dented was the hubcap. 
but the entire front bumper of the Saturn looked like it looked like it had been taken for a ride. And I remember that it had been, uh, it, it was just a funny moment that we, uh, that we still laugh about from time to time. The funny, the funniest part was like, like Alex, we got to do information exchange right now. I was like, you know where I live. I have to get on the bus and go like, I'll, like it's fine. We'll take care of this. Later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, obviously like last week you guys did the Marshisms. Now, I listened to that episode, and the older we get, obviously, we do change our dialect, and some things were retired, but I did have to bring back a couple retired Marshisms that used to be, like, a staple of you guys. <laughs> um, so the first one is, uh, ask me about my wiener. Scroll <laughs> back to accepted. <laughs> uh, obviously not know, really something you can, yeah. Literally watch that movie every single day for an entire summer. Yeah, just absolutely one of the favorite Marsh Brothers moments. So essentially in the scene, Jonah Hill is pledging a fraternity and he's in a hot dog costume and he's just on campus telling people to ask him about his wiener. And so Jacob would, Jacob and Sam would say, ask me about my wiener quite a bit. Now, obviously it has to be retired because you can't just be going through life asking that question. Um, a next one that we have. I mean, it's not really retired. It still is a thing. But Uh Oh, Alex by Jacob. That's still a pretty, pretty consistent thing whenever we hang. Uh Oh, Alex. Uh Oh. Uh Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. Shout out to Blades of Glory. Um, <laughs> and then my personal favorite is the Goosh Goosh. <laughs> oh, my God, Alex. <laughs> Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really gonna, I'm not really gonna go into depth, uh, detail about that one. But that YouTube, was if you want to learn more. Yeah, it's definitely a staple of the Marsh Brothers. Um, and then I have a couple well, rapid fire. Staple of Jacob. Do not loop me into that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Marsh thing. All right, I have a couple of rapid fire, no backstory. Either you know or you don't. Um, Canoes, Deadwood Cup champ, the Naj Mahal. Dreaming about redemption. Even if I say it'll be all right. Multiple and Baja Blast. (laughs) 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 So this is definitely like a very, it's a dictated podcast to people that know us. So a lot of these people will get the, get the references, but none of these need any description whatsoever. If you know, you know. Um, Exactly. You guys uh, ready for the quote zone? Yeah, let's do the quote zone. Quote zone. Quote zone. What'd you bring for us, Alex? Hang on, I still gotta pull them up my notes. Can you guys go ahead first? Oh yeah, I'll definitely go first. Um, so these I know I actually picked two because it's from the same movie. Uh, and I picked them one because it was from the movie that, once again, I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to just explain the movie. I won't have you guys guess it like normal, but it's from Superbad. And obviously I picked it because I'm still pretty certain it was Superbad when you hopped over the seats, not 300. But like I said, we'll check what the rest of the guys confirm. But uh, fuck me right and people don't forget. And those were just two of the phrases that after we all saw the movie together, we just all said nonstop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a god, man. We really did overuse that. Um, I'm gonna go with my quote. I'm gonna go with 
uh, quote that you did uh, last week, Sam, because I just thought it really encapsulated uh, it encapsulated parts of our friendship. And it's Louise Guzman in waiting. You can't mix Mexican and continental. Um, <laughs> an all-time movie. I love that uh, movie. I've watched it way too many times. And as, uh, as someone I know who is, you guys watch it. As someone who has worked in the food industry, including an Applebee's and a similar situation to that, I can tell you that has never, ever happened. Now. What? Mixing um, guacamole with continental? No, that entire scene. That nothing, nobody's ever <laughs> messed with people's food. Sure. If, if you go to Applebee's and you get a medium rare steak and you say it's like not medium rare and needs to be bumped up, they're going to throw it in the microwave. That's just what it is. That's how it is. Um, I don't doubt but, it was undercooked, but did you really have to eat the whole thing before <laughs> telling me? <laughs> no, I will, I will not lie though. I will not lie. There was a person I used to work with. Um, she did spit in people's drinks on occasion. That's gross. Yeah, yeah of course. But I mean, you know. Yeah, she um, should be arrested. Yeah, I think she actually did. Not for that, but I'm pretty sure she got arrested at some point. <laughs> um, so my quote, uh, it's a Buddhist quote, actually. Um, if anything is worth doing, do it with all your heart. Uh, similar quote that I like is actually from a coffee mug at work. It says, don't half-ass, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Yeah, that's thing. exactly what I was thinking of when you said the quote. It's a good one. Um now, uh, so Jacob, how's your uh, how's your fitness journey going? Um, it's going it's going great, dude. I mean, you know, I'm uh, hovering right around two thirty now, so I'm down, you know, twenty plus pounds, and I've got another twenty or so to go. But yeah, man, it's going great. Um, I'm super excited to to get to work out together. Um, in May when we get to see each other and uh yeah man no complaints so I'm super pumped dude I appreciate you asking the fact that Sam's under 200 pounds at 6'4 is so unbelievably frustrating to me <laughs> dude I wish I was only 6'4 I'm 6'6 okay either way that's even more ridiculous that you're under 200 pounds I'm the Chet Holmgren of 30 year olds <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be fun for May. May, and for people that don't know, uh, Keenan Mullaney, it's his bachelor party. It's going to be a very fun time in Indianapolis. So, Can't wait. Excited. Next up, we got Word of the Week. Word of the Week. Word of the Week. Where's your Word of the Week, Alex? Uh, my Word of the Week, um, you know, it's nothing anything crazy. I sometimes feel like we're trying to outdo each other with, um, with like trying to use words that we're not usually normalized. I like want to use a, I want to bring out a word that I think is overused and not actually, um, truly understood. So I chose hilarious. If you look up the definition of hilarious, it, um, it says, uh, uh, like it's extremely amusing, boisterous, very funny. And in some points, it's to the point where it can almost cause ins uh, insane levels of joy. Now, I think people over, like, it's also like a Louis C.K. bit where he talks about hilarious. This was before he got canceled. But he, 
essentially says that we overuse the English language and say that things are absolutely hilarious when it's just like not. It's just like a little funny or amusing. But everyone's just like, oh, dude, you should have seen it. Sam tripped over his own feet. It was hilarious. It was like, well, actually, it's just kind of like a little funny. Like, it's not anything crazy. <laughs> Especially since it happens so often. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I'd also throw irony and gaslight into that same pot that are kind of overused and not overused in the correct way by any means. Yeah, also literally and figuratively, I think people should probably recognize the, the definition and, and context when you've, to use that. You've been on that hill for like a oh, decade. I think you just need to, I think you just need to move past it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you literally need to move past it, Jake. <laughs> Well, I am going to continue to try to one-up each other. Um, I went with erudite. Uh, it's spelled E-R-U-D-I-T-E, erudite. Any uh, guesses on what it means? No. Uh, Having... as much as... <laughs> oh, no, go ahead, Alex. No, I was going to say, I mean, for someone who took four years of Latin, I have absolutely no idea the root face of that word. So. <laughs> Uh, it's having or showing great knowledge or learning. So um, Jacob could turn any conversation into an erudite discussion. Well, thank you, Sam. I take that as a compliment. It yeah, was. Group of stories. I had word of the week. I had a Swedish word. It's called fartlek. And it means speed training that can potentially be effective in improving your running speed and endurance. Um, but I thought it was really funny. So fart leg. Wait, can you repeat it? You kind of, I didn't hear what you said in the first part. What does it mean? Fart leg. It's uh, about speed and interval training and it's a Swedish term, um, but it's called fart leg. Yeah. It's about speed and interval training and running. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like Fartlek. Fartlek. F-A-R-T-L-E-K. Where's your shifter? Where's your shifter, Fartlecker? Well, we're definitely going to have to do a part two, guys. Uh, We definitely did not have enough time to go as in-depth as we were hoping. So, Alex, thanks again for hopping on, and uh, we'll definitely want to get you back on. Uh, any last thoughts, anything you want to plug for our guests? Uh, I mean, not really plugging anything. If you haven't seen Cocaine Bear, you should absolutely see that. I know you two have already seen it. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> so good. It is. Like you said last time, like, it's not going to need an Oscar or anything. All you need to know is, do you know what cocaine is? Do you know what a bear is? That's all you need to know. And it's just a fun waste of time, no energy, nothing. I mean, Elizabeth Banks is the director. She's openly been, like, asked about it. She goes, I just wanted to make a Sharknado-type movie with good actors. That's essentially what she made. A hundred percent. And, uh, oh, jeez, what was I just about to say? Oh, I can't believe I blinked that hard. Uh, I guess we'll have to finish it at that, fellas. <laughs> also, one more movie. If you want something a little more serious, A Man Called Otto, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, wonderful movie. It's based off a novel by Frederick Bachman. 
Uh, Frederick Bachman is my wife's favorite author. He's made stuff like Bear Town. <clears throat> That's a mini Swedish series on HBO. His stuff's a little bit darker, a little bit more adult. Um, it will definitely like tug at your heartstrings a bit. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Brothers and Others, hosted by the Marsh Brothers. We wanted to remind you to email us at brothersmarsh at gmail.com with any questions you'd like answered on the pod or any topics you'd like covered. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at brothers, capital N, others. Last but not least, ensure to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's it for now. now. Until Until next time. time.